Hi, it's Beth. Thanks for being here today. In this episode, Miranda shares about how she felt really alone to be transitioning into motherhood while losing the only person who knew everything about motherhood, her own mom. She really struggled with anger and found that grief therapy was very helpful. If you are enjoying the podcast, please remember to leave a rating and review. I really appreciate your support. And now, Miranda's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today, I have with me Miranda. Uh, Miranda and I met online, and she reached out about sharing her story, and then um, she had to take a little break because she had the birth of her daughter um, happen in her life about three months ago. And Miranda's daughter is with her today. So you might hear some cooing and some noises in the background. And I told Miranda that that is totally fine because um, it's all part of life and of being a mom yourself. And so I'm so happy that she's here and that she's going to share the story. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Miranda and let her introduce herself a little bit and then tell us the story of her mom, Julie, and then we will come back together with questions at the end. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Beth, for that nice introduction. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so my name is Miranda and my mom's name is Julie. Um, She died two years ago, but her death was a long time coming. So it was not a surprise. We we knew it was going to happen. Of course, we don't know when ever, but um, she was actually diagnosed in... 2011 with multiple myeloma and she was in fairly advanced stages when uh when she was diagnosed she came to visit my then boyfriend and I at the time and she was having knee problems and she said it was because she slipped on the ice and I thought to myself no you just need to go see the doctor (laughs) um and she definitely went to the doctor several times. They diagnosed her with arthritis. They thought it was all kinds of different things until finally um, they found a softball sized tumor on her knee and saw that it had spread to other areas. So she was living in Florida at the time and got the best treatment at Moffitt Cancer Center. She, you know, the doctors were amazing there. They were so kind. They helped her with everything. Um, when she had to file for unemployment, they helped her. The sh- the social workers were, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better experience. Um, then on my end, I went through a lot because um, a lot happens in that many years. So I had moved to probably like five different locations. Um, I was living in Connecticut, getting my master's, and then I got a grant to go and finish my thesis in Paris. So I finished my thesis in Paris and um, did a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have. And I specifically remember this one time when I was out drinking too much good way to start my story. Uh, And um, I was throwing up the next day because I couldn't, because I I probably had alcohol poisoning or something. And I just remember the next morning 
throwing up nonstop. I couldn't keep anything down and thinking, this is what my mom is going through with her chemo. And I've never, ever had anything to drink. Like I haven't had any, haven't drank that much since then. Um, Cause it was just too, too similar. So there came a point when she said, Miranda, you need to come home. Um, I can't live by myself anymore. And my mom is a very, very independent woman who does not ask for help from anybody. And to hear her say that, I was like, that's it. I, I have to come home. But I wasn't moving from Paris to Florida. So I decided that the only, re- the only way that we would that I would move back to the States as if we moved to Chicago. We're originally from the Chicago area and I wanted to be back in a big city um, because I was in my mid twenties and I wanted to start a career and just get things moving and not in a retirement home in Florida. So we, she agreed to do that. Um, I went down to Florida with her and found her very excited that I was home. She was moving boxes, packing stuff up. And I thought to myself, I thought you needed me. Like, what am I doing here? If you're okay to be moving around and you're going to drive us halfway from Florida to Chicago, like you don't need me. And I had a lot of anger towards her because I felt like she ripped me away from my, you know, fabulous, which was really not that fabulous life in France. And she, um, of course, now I know she didn't need me physically, like she needed me there emotionally. And I made peace with that while she was still alive and was really glad that I did and acknowledged that I was being kind of a brat (laughs) and she just needed me there and that that's okay and I'm really happy now because I still live in Chicago Chicago is where I met my husband it's where I live now where I have my job that I really love and so throughout all these years I got engaged I got unengaged I got engaged to someone else I got married um and through all that time, I feel like my mom just showed me how to be a good mother. She was non-judgmental. She was always there for me whenever I wanted to talk to her. And she was just like, she was just there always as a sounding board. I talked to her about work. I talked to her about my boyfriends. I talked to her about my friends that I was having trouble with and she was there to help me. She just did everything. I mean, she was just like, like she could do everything. And that's given me, well, it's been hard for me to try to think that I can keep up with that, you know, because she was just amazing and she did so much. Like she was she made my Halloween costume every year and not just, you know, put a blanket on me and call me a ghost. She went all out and um, hand sewed and, and like sewed with her sewing machine, all of my Halloween outfits and 
even my outfits for work and everything. It was just amazing. I could go on. Um, but she wasn't ever sure during that time that I would get married or get pregnant. And part of her teaching me how to be a good mom was just not pressuring me into doing the things that she wanted for herself and, you know, showing selflessness through motherhood. <laughs> and she, she never ever pressured me into getting pregnant or getting married. But one day after I was married, I found out that she had an entire trunk full of baby clothes that she had sewn and knit for me, <laughs> just in case I ever decided to have a kid. And sure enough, um, I was, I think about a year, married about a year and a half. And we uh, um, told my mom that I was pregnant and she didn't believe us because my husband is a big jokester and we used to play jokes on her all the time. Um, but when she, when she realized we were telling the truth, she was so happy. I think like all she ever wanted to do in her late life was see me get married and become a grandmother. And she got to do both of those things. So she, every, you know, when I was pregnant, I would call her every single day and on my way home from work, um, I'd tell her about the baby kicking and I'd complain about my heartburn and we'd have, um, competitions to see who is throwing up more because she was still on chemo <laughs> and because um, I had really bad nausea in my first trimester um, so it was like our joke which I think anybody who knows somebody with cancer or who's close to somebody with cancer knows that those kind of jokes are so morbid and gross but also the weird thing that connects you so yeah, that was, that was definitely fun. Those, those uh, walks home from work. I was so nervous about telling my coworkers that I was pregnant, worried about what they'd say. And my mom was so supportive and just told me, Miranda, just do it. <laughs> you know, she always gave really simple and direct advice that was like simplified things to anybody that overthinks. And it wasn't just me, it was all my friends. She was the mom to all of my friends, um, you know, and she would just give them direct advice. Like, oh, you're having with this person, you're having trouble with this person? Well, why are you dating somebody that lives 500 miles away from you? At end of story, that doesn't make sense. Like, stop, find somebody that's available for you. Done, I solved your problem. <laughs> And that was just her. And she would do that during my, my pregnancy and through my whole life. Um, and so in being excited about being a grandma, she really, really wanted to plan the gender reveal party. And, you know, she didn't really have a lot of means of walking around. She didn't have a car anymore because um, she couldn't drive. So her and my aunt, um, who I, who was very close to her and who really did everything 
that I couldn't do, like go to all of her chemo appointments with her and go to her house all the time and just be there with her when I was trying to live my life, which my mom allowed me to do without any guilt. Um, so she and my mom both planned my gender reveal party and they planned it at my house. Um, and now that I think of it, it's the last time that she came to my house and she still was in a lot of pain. Multiple myeloma is bone cancer. So it leaves little holes and fractures in your bones. So walking was very difficult for her. And she walked three flights up the stairs to get to my apartment and decorate my house for the gender reveal party. She had games all printed out. She had bought um, peanut M&Ms and then plain M&Ms and had little tags that said nuts and no nuts. So you could guess which, uh, which gender it was by the peanuts, <laughs> which is just so her. Um, and she wore this sash that I think she bought for herself that said grandma on it, <laughs> like a beauty pageant sash that said grandma. And she wore it to the gender reveal party. And then she wore it again at my baby shower, um, which we put on. It was really fun. We invited everybody and we, my husband and I didn't have a big wedding. So we kind of decided that the baby shower would be our big event that we would cater and um, have a big, a big to do about. And we did, and it was just perfect. Um, but by that time, my mom was in a wheelchair and she had just broken something. I think she broke her femur and we thought that it was just temporary because everything with my mom and her illness was so unpredictable. She at one point was in hospice a few years before she, um, she passed away. And then she graduated from hospice, which people don't really do. <laughs> so we, um, we didn't ever believe that this was the last time you know? Um, so if she broke a bone, we thought, oh, okay, they can reinforce it. If she went into the hospital, we're like, okay, it's going to be a couple of weeks until she comes out. Um, and then she, so when, when it was her baby, our baby shower, um, we were like, okay, this is, this is temporary or it's going to heal. She's going to fix it. And, um, then, we'll see what to do. Um, initially we had planned on her coming to stay with us for a few weeks after the baby was born, but then we decided that it wasn't a good idea for multiple reasons. Um, we wanted to make our little family and have it be, you know, for us and kind of more, I don't know, more, I don't know, just like the three of us and, building that bond before we let other people into that bond, I guess. So we made that decision for that reason. And also because we were worried that it would be really difficult for us to have my mom with us because we'd be worried about taking care of her 
while also taking care of me and taking care of a newborn and my husband taking care of himself and his business. So, you know, we decided not to have her um, come for practical and personal reasons. And she was, she said she was okay with that <laughs> um, because that's who she was. She said that whatever I wanted to do was the best decision, even when it wasn't. <laughs> um, but I don't think she could have come up the stairs anyways, like it wouldn't have worked. Um, she actually was in the hospital when I gave birth and she was in physical therapy um, in a rehabilitation center, I believe. And um, she didn't really get to see him until he was two weeks old because we were really worried about him catching something, which in the time of COVID, I think we probably would have been just fine <laughs> relative to what's happening now. But we, um, yeah, we decided not to, not to bring him in earlier than that. And then all the visits that we had were really short. Um, my husband and I were both kind of worried that her being in a rehab place, there were a lot of germs and, you know, just worried about things like that. So during that time, the two weeks before we went to visit her, we did have some people come visit us at home. Um, we had neighbors and friends come and I would post pictures of all of these people holding the baby. And then there was a time when my mom stopped texting me in the morning because she would always like, oh, she would always text me good morning. Um, and she just stopped. Um, she stopped texting me as much. So I asked her what the problem was. And she was like, don't worry about it. Um, I'm, you know, I'll text you. But I know that she was really jealous that everybody else got to see the baby. And she didn't. And it was hard because we needed the help and we needed the support. There were people in my family who wouldn't come visit me at the hospital because they didn't want to be the first ones to see the baby. They wanted my mom to be the first one. And they were not visiting me out of respect to my mom. And so nobody came to visit us in the hospital except for my dad and one friend and a neighbor. <laughs> And that was at a time when we could have people in the hospital and people could come in. And that was really hard because we wanted to, it to be a fun celebration. Um, so I don't know, those two weeks were really hard for her. But then even after that, it's like, it's like after he was born, she started to decline. And we visited her in the hospital, but I mean, if you can imagine her hospital was an hour away. And so traveling an hour with a newborn was hell. It sucked. And I was also 
you know, not producing enough milk because I was very stressed at that time, not knowing what my mom's next steps were going to be. So he, and I was also determined to breastfeed. And so I wouldn't supplement. And then, you know, he was crying in the car and it was just so stressful, especially for a new parent. You know, I have my second now and I'm not as stressed about, <laughs> about her crying because I know she'll be okay. But when you're a first time parent, everything is, is new and you don't know if you're doing the right thing. And then not knowing whether you're doing the right thing with your parent who may or may not be passing away along with being, you know, learning to be a parent, it was really it was really challenging and we had to make some really tough decisions about how often do we visit her? Um, where do we visit her? Do we only see her outside? Does that mean we can't go see her when it rains? What if it rains on Mother's Day? There's a lot of different questions that you have to make big decisions about that may not seem like big decisions in the moment, but when it turns out she only has two months to live after your child is born, those decisions that you made I mean, I look back on them and I'm like, who cares if we had him in the rehab center for two hours in her room? Like, what's he gonna catch? It's a rehab center, you know? But we were so worried that we needed to just stay for 10 minutes and only see her outside. And I don't know, I still struggle with feeling okay about those decisions, but you just do what you think is best and you can't. I guess you can't regret things too much. So, like I said, she she um, she did pass away two months after my son was born. She was declining. Um, they put her into hospice, and it was it it was for real that time. She wasn't going to graduate except to the other kind of hospice graduation that people don't really want. A diploma for. <laughs> so um, we went back and forth in hospice for a while. And then there was this one time when she wasn't able to speak that much anymore. And it was really hard for her to communicate. That day I told her, I said, thank you for teaching me how to be a good mother. That and I love you were the last things that I said to her where she could acknowledge that and where she really, where I knew that she could hear me at the end. I, at the end of the day, we were about to leave. We packed up, we put my son in the car, in the car seat. And my husband looks at me and goes, do you think maybe we should stay? And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know because you know, hospice, this hospice center was beautiful. It was, it was great, but I had a two month old. So what am I going to do with them? I don't know. Um, so I went over to my mom and I held her hand and I said, mom, squeeze my hand. And she started squeezing my hand. I'm like, no, no, wait, wait. You don't, you don't know what I want to say yet. Squeeze my hand if you want me to stay. And she squeezed my hand so hard and I knew she was ready, but scared to, to leave this world. 
And um, so we stayed. We stayed overnight for, I think it was like three nights, uh, maybe four nights. And, you know, we met all the other families there and I was sleeping on the couch with my son, nursing, you know, <laughs> for everyone to see <laughs> and was half awake and so stressed. And I just, yeah. But one of the good things about being a new mom and having your mom pass away is that um, your hormones after you give birth give you a little boost in your mood. Um, you know, you hear things like the baby blues and about postpartum depression and those things are real and they come at different times. But I was nursing and I was able to nurse, you know, he was like latching well. And every time you nurse, um, there's a hormone that goes to your brain that gives you a happy feeling. That's the same as drugs. It's the same as chocolate. Um, and so I think that I survived because of those pregnancy hormones. I remember on the day that she died, thinking that this was the absolute most beautiful, most perfect way that somebody could pass. There was a woman playing the harp that calmed her down and slowed her breathing. It was a beautiful day outside. My mom loved birds. There were birds at her bird feeder outside. One of her friends had um, left a bird feeder out there so that the birds would come and so my mom could see the birds. And there were birds outside. My husband and my son and I laid out a blanket a few hours before she passed. And we just like rested in the sun. And when we came back, my aunt was there and my cousin. And it was, it was just us. And there was a time when my husband was over there holding her hand and he looked over at us and said, it's time. And we all came around her and she breathed her last breath and it was perfect. It was beautiful. She had this chaplain come and read a verse over her. And it turns out that this chaplain was some woman that my mom had connected with before because that's my mom. She connected with everybody and in some way. And um, the verse that she read over it, her, it included the words, we labor out of life as we labor into life. And I just couldn't think of anything that was more poignant than that. I had just labored life into the world and I could hear her breathing out her life and it was not easy for her. Like it was a labor and I don't know, it just really, really stuck with me. So during my maternity leave, I arranged a memorial service for her with my aunt. Um, we had it at my aunt's house where we have all of our family gatherings. And 
it was less of a memorial and more of like an art gallery of everything that my mom had done from when she was in fashion school in the 80s to when she did watercolors in Florida and she sewed. So we had some of her best outfits put on display. She knit. So we put some of her best knitted outfits on display and just to kind of show you how intense my mom was, um, she not only knit, but she spun, hand spun her yarn and then hand dyed all of her yarn with plants that she found in her backyard. So when I said earlier, it's hard to keep up with her and feel like, like I'm doing everything that she did I, I mean, there's no way. I mean, who does that kind of thing? Nobody, nobody does that kind of thing. So <clears throat> um, yeah, it was just like this beautiful tribute to her. She had written a couple books. We had those on display. Um, just an amazing tribute to her life and her creative soul. And at the memorial, there were people there that I had no idea even knew her. There were people that are normally tangential people in your life, like the person that brings meals on wheels, you know? And I think for a lot of people, they just come, have a quick conversation, drop off the meal and you go. Um, she had this service where she had a corgi named Foxy for a while and they would come and walk her dog. And um, there was a librarian that came and delivered her books. And all of these people, became my mom's best friends. And not only that, but they became, she became their best friend too. And it just amazes me that all of these people that, you know, everyone else would just kind of say, okay, thank you, bye. My mom made a connection with them. And so all these people that showed up to her memorial, I didn't even know who they were. And now we're friends on Facebook. And whenever I, I post things about my mom, they're right there remembering those things with me. Like I didn't even know that she could share so much with people. And it was wonderful to see that. So <clears throat> this is my kind of happy postpartum, um, post-death period. Then things started to settle down as they do. And it was not as happy. Um, I think I'll never really know whether it, whether I had postpartum depression or whether I was just really grieving. But I even just recently was looking back at a couple photos from that time period and I did not look okay. <laughs> um, we had taken all of my mom's things into our third story apartment. And I had to sort through everything at home. Um, I had read about the anger stage of grieving and I thought that meant that I was gonna be angry about my mom's death. But for me, I was just angry at everyone. Like I was so angry at my husband. I was so angry at my adorable baby and angry at my aunt who was grieving her in her own path. And it 
just, I was so angry and I had no idea. On top of that, I was having night terrors about my mom. So we, we slept in bed with my son and I would wake up screaming and crying and I would wake up my husband and I would wake up my son. And, you know, with a newborn, you're already not getting a lot of sleep. And it just compounded to me never sleeping, being angry all the time. And so I don't know, like, was it grieving? Was it postpartum? I mean, it was a combination for sure, but it was really a terrible time. So we decided to get couples therapy. And during our couples therapy, we worked through a lot of stuff on our relationship. But in the end, I just ended up talking about my mom the whole time. And my husband was just sitting there like supporting as much as he could. But I think we were like three months in and I looked to our therapist and I said, do you think I should just get my own individual therapist? And in traditional therapist style, she said, whatever you think is best. And I'm like, yeah, I think, I think I need some grief therapy. And I, um, I did that. And I met like the most amazing person. Um, I actually went through a university that's by me and they offered free therapy with um, students who were in training. So she wasn't a licensed counselor yet, but she was training to be. And I think she was like, I don't know, maybe she was, she was young, you know, she was like 23 or 24. Um, but she was just like, the most amazing person I've ever met. And we clicked immediately. You know, we both like tarot cards. She had her grandma, her grandma's ashes in a pendant around her neck. And she only told me that after I said that I wanted to do exactly the same thing with my mom's ashes. And I, I don't know, it was just like the stars aligned and it was wonderful. Um, I found out that I had all these images that I had in my head of my mom dying, but also images of my mom living and loving that I had in my head that I couldn't get out to anybody. And I just needed to do it. I just needed to talk about it. And I needed to get it out of my head where I was obsessing over them and into the universe to release it from myself in a way. And I did, and it was a lot better. I, I actually stopped therapy around Christmas because I was like, I don't really have anything else to talk to you about. And she's like, well, it's your call if you want to end it. So I did. She's like, well, what are some clues that you might need to start up grief therapy again? And I was like, well, I think if another family member dies, I think I would just immediately go back into counseling. Um, if I get pregnant again, I would go back because I, I was having trouble even seeing other moms with their moms on the street. I would walk past them and just start crying and then feel bad because it's like they're enjoying this wonderful time with their moms. And here I am walking alone with my baby who's screaming 
and I couldn't do it. I had to actually not see some of my friends as much who had kids and who had incredibly supportive moms because I was so jealous of them. And even now I, I can't, I, I can't be around people with very supportive mothers because I'm just so jealous. So I, I told her, you know, if I got pregnant again, or if somebody passes away in my family that I, I'd probably go in. And so, um, a few months later, both of those things happened <laughs> and, um, I, I decided to go back into therapy. Um, I got pregnant again. We planned it. It was during the pandemic and, um, we really wanted my son to have somebody to just be with him all the time and like be his person. Um, it was really hard for me cause I was, an, I'm an only child from my mom. Um, and so I had to manage her death by myself, not by myself with my aunt. My aunt was amazing and, um, managed a lot of things with me, but I know if I had a, I just feel like if I had a sibling, I would have felt better. And my husband and I talked about it and decided we wanted to have another to have a built-in family support system for, for Ivan, my son. Um, and then we got pregnant faster than we thought we would, which I'm very grateful for. Um, and then my uncle passed away from COVID. And um, I just had this sinking feeling in myself that it was like the universe had to take somebody away from me in order for me to produce life. And I couldn't shake that feeling. Um, I still kind of can't, you know, I still kind of feel like that, even though I know that it's not necessarily connected. Um, but yeah, I, um, I went back into therapy and ended up being with the same therapist for about a year. And because of that, she saw all of my patterns at different holidays and we were able to identify and anticipate the things that were gonna be difficult. So, you know, she'd say, all right, we're a week before your mom's, um, you know, what the day that your mom passed, how are you feeling? I'm like, same way I felt before Christmas, <laughs> same way I felt before Easter. Um, I felt like I had to do it all. Like I had to be a super mom. Like I had to be as good as the mom that she was for me. And those are big shoes to fill. And she had a lot of experience like being a mom by the time that I recognized what a good mom she was. And she was, I mean, she was a wonderful mom my whole life, but I just felt like, like I had to have everything right. Like I had to do, you know, the fun games and I had to create all these traditions on my own because my mom wasn't there to create them. And I just had to do that. Like that was my responsibility. And I put all this pressure on myself to make everything perfect, like the dinner, bring the right appetizers, have the Easter tablecloth, 
have, you know, the bunny butter, like all of these things that, you know, kids don't really care about. Like all they care about is that you're there and that you're with them. And I mean, it's nice to have tradition, but I mean, tradition grows and it builds. And that's something that I'm still trying to be okay with is just getting things done. And uh, my mom in my head all the time, I always hear her saying, Miranda, just, just do it. Like, it doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it. Cause I've always been, you know, felt this need to get things perfect and procrastinate because of it, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. Um, but she was always the kind of person that didn't really care if it was perfect, but she produced a lot of stuff. Like that's why she could give handmade gifts to everybody at Christmas. Cause she just did it. She's like, well, if they don't like it, I don't care. They could just throw it out. <laughs> and it was, yeah, that was just her. And that was our difference in personalities too. So I still hear her. And, um, you know, after now, I, my daughter now is three months and I didn't feel sad that my mom's not here to see her. Um, I feel like I found some, some closure in knowing that she's everywhere and that she sees everything and that she doesn't have that jealousy of other people holding her baby she's just happy and you know like she doesn't I don't have that guilt anymore and I'm able to shift my relationship with people um my mom and dad never really got along after they got divorced and so it was hard for me to know how involved my dad could be in my and my children's life when she was alive. But now I just feel like she's so happy that she married him <laughs> because, which she would not have said <laughs> before, um, because he's just such a good grandpa. He's here, I mean, he's watching my son right now, but he comes twice a week. We go visit him. We spend all of our holidays together and he just makes things special. And, you know, it's like when one person dies, sometimes it makes room for a relationship with another person. And I think that's been really helpful for everybody. And I just feel like my mom is watching over us without any kind of negative emotions. Like she doesn't have anything bad to feel anymore because she is gone. She's just here. And she always said that she would come back in the birds and the stars. <laughs> and we see birds outside all the time. Um, I taught my son who's two and a half now to you know, be able to identify different kinds of birds. So he knows cardinal and a robin and a blue jay and you know he'll see them and he'll like you know he'll be there and even you know my husband will look out the window and there'll be a bird peeking in and he's like hey mom <laughs> how's it going <laughs> and my daughter now I just 
it's, it's uncanny, but I will look at her sometimes and I will see my mom. I mean, I don't know how to explain it other than it's uncanny. She squeezed my hand once in the same way that my mom squeezed my hand before she passed. She looked at me once in the same way that my mom looked at me before she passed when she was in hospice. And, you know, my cousin, Amanda, she told me that she feels like my mom, because she wasn't here when I got pregnant with my second, she feels like she handpicked her with God for me. Um, I'm not a very religious person, but I love that. (laughs) And I love the idea of my mom just like working with someone else or something else to create the perfect baby for me. (laughs) And it just, that just brings me through and makes me, makes me so happy. That's awesome that you have these relationships with your, your family that's there. Um, one of the things that was that, that um, stood out to me was that you talked about um, that you had this self-inflicted pressure with the butter bunnies and all that kind of stuff. But the one thing that you said about your mom is that she didn't pressure you. Right? I wrote yeah. that down. She was non-judgmental, always there, didn't pressure me. Mm-hmm. And then you had self-inflicted pressure. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, you know, your mom would probably be like, Miranda, let it go, right? Of course she would. Of course yeah. she would. Yeah, she would just say, you've, you've got it. It doesn't matter. She would say exactly what I just said, that, you know, the kids won't even remember. They're two. He's not going to remember whether he had an Easter egg hunt or not. And just mm-hmm. go down the street and join in on someone else's Easter egg hunt. She'd be like, just make it easy on yourself. And I don't, I don't know why, because it's just who I am. <laughs> it is this self-inflicted, what did you call it? Self-inflicted pressure is what you pressure. said. Yeah. Self-inflicted exactly. pressure. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first, the first step they say in um, you know, making any progress with a with a problem is being able to identify that you you know you have it. You know, it's part of perfectionism and probably that you know type A driver personality. Um, so, but I just found it ironic that you said the exact same, the exact opposite of the way you described your mom. Um, but you know, like you said, she was also operating from years of um, of being a mom you know, by the time that you recognize that in her. So give yourself some grace. And <laughs> when, you know, your kids are in your mid twenties, you could be like, ah, I'm so much more relaxed now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, she was also living in Florida and having some, uh, some cocktails every night at the pool with her friends. So <laughs> hey, that might have helped. That doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> so do you have anything, a last bit of advice or a takeaway that you would want to share with the audience? Well, the reason why I wanted to share my story is because I felt really alone as somebody who was transitioning into motherhood while losing the one person that knew everything about motherhood. (laughs) And um, I guess I just want to share my story to let other people know that they're not alone and there's a bunch of 
other people who are going through this and it's okay to be jealous of your mom friends who have really supportive mothers and it's okay to make time for yourself to go to therapy because making time for yourself is hard especially when it's you know making time for yourself to do something that hurts right. so right. Yeah. yeah I just you know want people to know that they're not alone therapy works <laughs> and um you know keep telling stories about your mom to your kids because they'll love you for it mm -hmm. they know. <laughs> so true so true so you have an instagram um and then a facebook that we were tell people about can you tell them where to find you there Oh, sure. Yeah, I think you can link it um, in the podcast too, but it's just my personal Facebook page. So if anybody wants to connect with me and talk about their experience, um, I'm happy to, to talk to you and, you know, just see you where you're at. You can see some cute baby pictures. <laughs> but I do a lot of things where I'll bake and do some tributes to my mom and um, other just little little things that remind me of her. I've got a, a big community of other people that really loved her too. So it's kind of nice to see everybody coming together for that. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, well, we will put both of those in the show notes so that people can find you there and, and connect with you. And um, I really appreciate you being here and sharing your story with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.